Today's Bible reading is from Hosea chapter 4, verses 1 to 19. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying and murder, stealing and adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Because of this, the land dries up, and all who live in it waste away. The beasts of the field, the birds in the sky, and the fish in the sea are swept away. But let no one bring a charge, let no one accuse another, for your people are like those who bring charges against a priest. You stumble day and night, and the prophets stumble with you. So I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed from the lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priests. Because you have ignored the law of your God, I will also ignore your children. The more priests there were, the more they sinned against me. They exchanged their glorious God for something disgraceful. They feed on the sins of my people and relish their wickedness. And it will be like people, like priests. I will punish both of them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. They will eat but not have enough. They will engage in prostitution but not flourish, because they have deserted the Lord to give themselves to prostitution. Old wine and new wine take away their understanding. My people consult a wooden idol, and a diviner's rod speaks to them. A spirit of prostitution leads them astray. They are unfaithful to their God. They sacrifice on the mountaintops and burn offerings on the hills under oak, poplar, and terebinth, where shade is pleasant. Therefore, your daughters turn to prostitution and your daughters-in-law to adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they turn to prostitution, nor your daughters-in-law when they commit adultery, because the men themselves consort with harlots and sacrifice with shrine prostitutes. A people without understanding will come to ruin. Though you Israel commit adultery, do not let Judah become guilty. Do not go to Gilgal, do not go up to Beth-Avon, and do not swear as surely as the Lord lives. The Israelites are stubborn, like a stubborn heifer. How then can the Lord pasture them like lambs in a meadow? Ephraim is joined to idols, leave him alone. Even when their drinks are gone, they continue their prostitution. Their rulers dearly love shameful ways. A whirlwind will sweep them away, and their sacrifices will bring them shame. Yeah, well, thanks, Emily. Good morning, everyone. If I haven't met you before, my name is Jack. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, what a really cheery passage to read on a Sunday morning, right? So, so happy. Um, if, you, uh, if you're joining us for the first time this morning, or you haven't been here for a couple of weeks, um, this morning we're in the second week, as Carl said, on a, on a new series we're doing on the book of Hosea. And uh, if you were here last week, you might remember I likened kind of reading the book of Hosea a bit like um, getting smacked in the face with an oar. Uh, it's a pretty confronting, painful kind of book to read, uh, as all these different things kind of come out uh, that we're reading. I mean, God is really angry. It's a really hard book to read. Um, you might remember as well this washing line from last week, which kind of maps out the storyline of the Bible. Uh, it kind of maps out um, history, the history of the Bible. Um, on it, we talked about uh, where this kind of book or this this um, this book of Hosea is set in time, 
Uh, and we talked about how it was set in a point in history when the kingdom of Israel had actually been split in two. Uh, once the, the kingdom of Israel had existed as, as one nation in Jerusalem. But in 1 Kings chapter 12, uh, we read about how there was a great split in the kingdom of Israel. How the southern tribe, uh, the two tribes, the southern kingdom remained in Jerusalem and was called Judah. And how the northern kingdom uh, left to Samaria and, uh, and kept the name of Israel. And at this point in time in history, um, things are not looking good. Uh, and this is where Hosea comes into it. So God speaks through Hosea predominantly to the northern kingdom of Israel because they're turning away from him. But it also has a lot to say about the southern kingdom as well. So that's where we're at in point in history. Um, you might remember last week as well, we talked about dirty laundry. Hosea can be hard to read because it's a book that is all about the dirty laundry of the Israelites being put on display before God, put on display before the world for everyone to see. And it can be really confronting as we read about some of the things that they're getting up to. Um, but we also say it's quite a hard book to read because it's a book that confronts us with our dirty laundry before God as well and makes us um, need to think through and, and dwell about that too, which is hard. But you'll also remember, hopefully, the big idea of our series, of this three-week series on Hosea, that there's good news. See, God restores the mess that we make. That's our big idea. God restores the mess that we make, but not before addressing the mess that we've made. That's our big idea for this series. And this morning, what we see in chapter 4, what this contributes to this big idea is this. It's five, five words. We need to know God. That's what we see going on here in this chapter. We need to know God. Um, <clears throat> I wonder if I ask you the question, how, like, have you ever thought about how uh, what we know is influenced by the things and people around us? I wonder how you'd answer that question. Have you ever thought about how what we know is influenced by the things and the people around us? That's our question for today. I remember uh, a couple of years ago, my niece was over and, um, and we were just hanging out, we were, we were singing a song together, and that song was probably one of the best kids' songs ever written. I'm going to start singing it, if you know it, you feel free to join in, it's a great song, right, it goes like this. <coughs> we all know frogs go, la-di-da-di-da, 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 we all know frogs go, la-di-da-di-da, they don't go, glump, glump, glump. Well done. Great. Excellent. Excellent. We were singing this song together, and then uh, after that she went home, and then a couple of weeks later she came back over. She's about a year, year and a half years old, so she didn't drive herself. Her parents took her over. And we were, um, we were hanging out, sitting on a couch and reading a book together. And you know when you're reading a book with someone who is, is a year to a year and a half old, you're kind of just pointing at things and saying, what does this do? What does this do? And uh, we opened up a book. I pointed out a picture of a cow. I said, what noise does a cow make? And she went, moo. I pointed out the picture of a chicken. What does it make? She said, bark. I said, pointed out a picture of a pig. And she said, oink, oink. And then I pointed at a picture of a frog. And what do you think she said? La-di-da-di-da. And I went, yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> not, not quite right there. Not quite right there. But what we know is influenced in large part by the things and the people around us. And we certainly saw that in the case of my niece with that song. What we know is influenced by the things and the people around us. Now in the book of Hosea, in, in chapter 4 this morning, we're seeing that same thing happen. That's what's going on in this book. What the Israelites know is influenced by the people around them. 
and it leads them to no longer knowing God, and the consequences are severe. Because main point for this morning, we need to know God. If you walked in, you'll, uh, you'll have a leaflet, it's got an outline in it. Uh, point one on that leaflet says, what does it mean to know someone? What does it mean to know someone? Now, I reckon we've all been in a conversation uh, when someone has asked us, do you know, you know so-and-so, do you know Bob or Larry or, or Debbie? And we'll respond in a variety of different ways. I might say, you know, I kind of know them, but, but I don't know them that well. I might say, uh, I knew them when I, was, when I was younger, but I haven't had a whole lot to do with them recently, so I don't, don't really know them that well. Or I might say, like, yes, I know that person. They're a great egg. I love them. And in all instances, I would know that person and I would be telling the truth. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to like go heaps deep with this question of being like, like how, how do you know that you know someone? That's kind of not really what we're, we're trying to do. But I think we'd all agree that knowing someone, um, to some degree, mean, means having a relationship with them. It's about a familiarity with that person. And it works both ways, right? Now, for the Israelites, they knew God really, really well. We read last week from Exodus chapter 19, that's back here in Exodus, after God had rescued the Israelites from slavery to the Egyptians, that they didn't just have a passing knowledge of who God is. It wasn't just like, yeah, I kind of know God, I know him through a mutual friends, like we're Facebook friends, it's all good, I kind of know him. What we read in Exodus 19 verse 4 is this, we read, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So the Israelites have a personal, intimate knowledge of God as their rescuer. But even more than that, God says in verse 5 to 7, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And we're told that the Israelites responded to God by saying, We will do everything the Lord has said. The Israelites knew God. They knew him as their God. They knew him as the God they had promised to obey and be faithful to, as the one true God who considered them as his treasured possession. They had a close, trusting and loving relationship with their rescuer, God. They knew God, and by knowing him, they learned how to live rightly before him and in relationship with him. But what do we read this morning as we come to Hosea 4? We read that they no longer know him. Actually, something terrible has happened in their relationship with God. We read it in the first few verses this morning. God doesn't come before them now calling them his treasured possession. Instead, he comes before them and says this. Hear the word of the Lord, ye Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying and murder, stealing and adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Because of this, the land dries up, and all who live in it waste away. The beasts of the field, the birds in the sky, and the fish in the sea are swept away. So what we read here is that the Israelites have done exactly what God said they shouldn't do. They've done exactly what they promised that they wouldn't do to God. They've turned away from pursuing their relationship with God. And how? 
we read by unfaithfulness, a lack of love, and in not acknowledging who God is. In other words, their relationship with him has been torn up, chewed up, spat out. It's been completely destroyed. And we're told that they no longer know God. When we get down to verse 6, we read this. The consequence of this. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. They need to know God. They need to know him. Because as much as they'd like to think the opposite, their ignorance is not bliss. That's point two on your outline. Ignorance is not bliss. Um, You've heard the saying, of course, ignorance is bliss. And it works in a whole uh, range of spheres of life. Um, For example, um, you might be here today and not know that Queensland was absolutely thumped in their origin game on Wednesday against New South Wales by 50 to 6. And I I wish that that was me. I wish that I didn't know that because ignorance is bliss. It's devastating. Or when I was at school, you might be, um, be able to relate to this a bit. Uh, I wouldn't pay any attention to that mounting pile of homework that would just stack up on my desk. And I'd go to friends' houses on the weekend and just have a great time instead. It was bliss. Ignorance is bliss. I didn't have to think about it. But what makes things different here between the Israelites and God? What's going on? It's not that they didn't know that God existed and that he was there. It's that they actively rejected knowledge of him. By rejecting knowing God, they lost sight of who he is as their God, as their rescuer, the one who loves them. They've lost sight of who they were as his people. And they lost sight of what it looks like to live rightly before him in relationship with him. And this plays out in two different spheres in Hosea chapter 4. Although everyone is involved and is equally seen as guilty. See, firstly, we see it through the priests. I don't know if you saw that through verses 4 to 6, the priests. And secondly, through the Israelite people themselves. Firstly, the priests. In verse 6, we read that they have rejected knowledge of God. Not that they are just ignorant of who God is, but that they've actively rejected knowing God. You know, it was the role of priests to actually lead Israel in their worship of God. They led the Israelites in obedience to the law. They mediated between the Israelites and God by offering sacrifices to God for them. They helped the Israelite people know who God is as their rescuer, provider, covenant-abiding God, and as their king. But now, instead of doing so, they are actively rejecting knowledge of God. And why? Well, verse 7 tells us. We read, because they exchanged their glorious God for something disgraceful. See, whereas the Israelites were to bow down to God and to only God, uh, the nations around them bowed down to lots of other gods, to fake gods, gods made of wood and stone and bronze. And there was one in particular called Baal that the nations around Israel worshipped, who was considered to be the god of fertility. Now, it was believed that in bowing down to and worshipping Baal, that uh, you would flourish as a people, that your land would increase, that your people would increase, that your crops would increase, that your animals, you get the picture, would increase. And that in this happening, there would be added security, there'd be added peace, added power, added wealth. Now, all, all good things, but all good things that were being attributed to a piece of wood, to a statue made of bronze or gold or silver, instead of to the real living God. 
The Israelites bought the lie that they could get this from Baal, so they worshipped Baal. What this looked like um, was visiting temple prostitutes or shrine prostitutes. That's what's going on here throughout Hosea, with this continued use of this word prostitute comes up again and again, partly because it describes the worship of Baal. So by worshipping Baal, you would visit a temple prostitute to signify Baal's fertility. You'd also worship Baal by making different sacrifices to him. Even, we read in 2 Kings chapter, uh, chapter 17, the Israelites would worship Baal by sacrificing their own children. They exchanged their glorious God for something disgraceful. Baal. And you know, that's not even where it stopped. It, it kind of keeps going down, down, down. That's kind of what we felt as we were reading through this chapter this morning, right? That's not where it stops. You see, the priests, we read in verse 8, feed on the sins of my people and relish in their wickedness. See, the priests would still make the Israelites sacrifice to God. They would point out their sin, but it was only so that they could benefit from the Israelite people themselves as they brought sacrifices to the temple and the priests just hoarded it for themselves. All this picture forming of a group of people who instead of turning people to God, as was their role, they turned them away on purpose so that they would benefit. The leaders of of the Israelites were corrupt. We're told the people were corrupt as well. Verse 9, we read, Like people, like priests. I will punish both of them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. See, we read that the Israelite people were consulting wooden idols. They were turning to magic. They were sacrificing at places God had told them to destroy because they were for fake gods like Baal. Both men and daughters were taking part in sacrificing with shrine prostitutes or becoming those shrine prostitutes themselves. They had no knowledge of God, no understanding of who he is, because they actively chose to reject him. And so we read in verse 14, a people without understanding will come to ruin. Because even if they knew that God was there, they did not seek understanding in how to live before him. And there are consequences. Ignorance is not bliss. They need to know who God is, who they are, and what it looks like to live rightly before him. Because of the way they're living, we read their sacrifices will end by bringing them shame in verse 19. And the things they are flocking to as replacements for God will sweep them away to nothing, to ruin and to shame. Ignorance is not bliss. And the Israelites need to know God, to know how to live rightly before him. But they've consciously chosen to ignore and reject him pursue bowing down to Baal. And because of it, they're facing God's right and just judgment for the way they've treated him. And you get to a point like this, knowing some of that, that background about how God has so loved them and, and cared for them, you ask the question, why did the Israelites do it? Why, why did this happen? Point three on your outline, you'll see, it says the same song on repeat. Well, um, if you're a parent with young children here, uh, you have heard the song Baby Shark, right? And we're going to sing that together right now on three. One, I'm just kidding. We're not going to sing Baby Shark. I, I won't do that to you. Um, because if you're here and you've heard Baby Shark and you're a young parent, okay, you've heard it too many times. 
And if you haven't heard it, I just want to say it's a bit of a miracle, and I would encourage you, don't actually look it up, because it would be stuck in your head forever, just like it is now for those people I've reminded of its existence. I'm so sorry for that. It's one of the most popular kids' songs that's going around, and around, and around, and around. Constantly requested and played again and again, the same song on repeat. Now, as we ask this question of why Israelites rejected God and turned their backs on Him, we need to look at another repeating song that we see here in Hosea. Actually, a repeating song that we see throughout the Bible too, again and again. The same song on repeat. People buying the lie that God is not good enough. Buying the lie that God is holding back from us. Buying the lie that true life and satisfaction and fulfillment can come from pursuing things that God has made rather than pursuing God himself. The thing is, these things can't do this. They can't replace God. God says in Hosea 4 verse 10, they will eat but not have enough. They will engage in prostitution but not flourish. See, the things that the Israelites were holding up as being what can bring fulfillment and real life and satisfaction were those things that would help them to receive wealth and security, that could sustain them and help them to grow as a nation. Now, this is what they were turning into their God. But God says, if this is what you are pursuing, you will never be satisfied. You will never have enough. You will not get what you are seeking by living this way. Instead, you will only make me angry. You will only bring judgment upon yourself for thinking that you can treat me like that. Because that's not what I created you for. It's not what I created those things for. And if you knew me, you would know this. You would know who you are as my people. You would know how wrongly you've treated me. You would know to turn back to me. And I say this is the same song on repeat because it's something that we still do today. Constantly holding something up as the thing that's going to bring us fulfillment, things like career, family, wealth, the list is endless. And these things are all really, really good. They're really good in and of themselves. But if they end up being things that turn us away from properly knowing who God is, from knowing that He is the one true God who is worthy of our time, our energy, our hearts, if they are the things we pursue as the end point of what life is all about, then we're buying the lie that God is not enough. Buying the lie that says we don't need Him, that we don't want Him, that He is not our God. We are missing out on knowing who we are before Him. People who deserve His anger and judgment for the way that we treat Him. And God, who is the just and good judge of all, will hold us accountable for how we have treated Him, just like He held the Israelites accountable for how they treated Him. You know, the next six chapters after this one, I mean, it's all just keeps going, keeps going down. Just reveals how much the Israelites have turned away from God. And it's a really brutal six chapters to read. Kind of stops feeling like an oar to the face and more like a freight train. We read how the Israelites have turned away from God in every area of their life and how God is going to hold them accountable for that. He will judge them. It's a confronting thing to read. Lack of knowledge destroys God's people. 
And you know, if this is where we are left, without knowledge of God and how to live before Him, without knowledge of how to come back to Him, then we are doomed to face that judgment ourselves. But you know, um, there's good news um, for, the, for the parents of young children here. You know that song, Baby Shark? I read earlier this week that it actually got overtaken on iTunes, finally, as the most popular kids' song to listen to. It's been replaced. It's been replaced by a song called I Found Happiness Today uh, by an Aussie mum called Lindsay Storer. A song's been replaced that was once on repeat again and again in every household. Thankfully, what we see here, the song on repeat of the whole Bible, of this storyline that we see, of continual rejection of God and our facing judgment for this, is dealt with. We can now sing a new song, a different song, in light of who our God is, and in light of the change He brings about through His Son, Jesus, to draw us back to relationship with Himself, to draw us back so that we can know Him. God not only makes a way for people to come back to Him, He makes a way for us to become His children, a way for us to know Him as our perfect and loving Father, to have a restored relationship. Remember our big idea, God restores what we mess up, but not before He addresses the mess we've made. You know, after six chapters of kind of just going downhill and seeing how bad things are getting, we get to chapter 11 of Hosea. But God talks about how he has loved Israel like a father loves their child and how Israel have broken his heart and are facing judgment. But we also read how God decides that he will withhold his fierce judgment from them because of his love, because of his compassion. He will not carry his fierce judgment through to its completion on them. Rather, he will make a way for them to come back to him We're told that he will roar like a lion and his children will come trembling from Egypt and from the West and that he will settle them in their homes. God makes a way for us to come back to him. Point four, finally singing to a new tune. Now the end of the book of Hosea Hosea leaves us with this great hope of restoration in the relationship between God and his people. And we're really going to get to dig into that next week together, which is kind of going up that way. Uh, But it points forward to an even greater reality that we're going to look at now. That God would make it possible for all people to be reconciled to him through faith. Faith in his son Jesus, through who we can know God. We can know who we are through who we can know how to come back to God through faith in Him. It's through Jesus that this great judgment of God is dealt with as it's poured out on Him instead of us on the cross. We read in another part of the Bible in the New Testament, Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 19 to 23. We read this about who Jesus is and about how He helps us know God. Verse 19 says, For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, And do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. See, through Jesus, we can know God. 
Through Jesus we are reconciled to God, as seen as blameless from sin by trusting in him and what he has done for us in taking the punishment we deserve on his own shoulders. He calls us to trust in him. And that is the call of Paul in verse 23. To have faith in Jesus and what he has done for us, not in trusting in anything else to make us right with God, not trusting in ourselves to be able to fix a problem in our hearts that constantly turns us away from God, not trusting in ourselves to be able to come before God and say, hey, look how great I am, I've done all this stuff for you, because it won't work. It's faith in Jesus and him alone. See, we need to know God and we can know God through Jesus. We need to be made right with God and we are made right with God through Jesus. And this is the new song that we sing. I shared the example of my niece uh, making the wrong noise for a frog at the start of the sermon and, and asked the question, have you thought about the things or the people who influence what you know? You know, Hosea was written thousands of years ago to the Israelites and, and we live on the other side of the cross, that's this way, we live on the other side of the cross to them. So how do we think through applying this stuff to our own lives as we live as people who have been reconciled to God through faith in Jesus? There are three things I think that stand out that we can think through and apply from the passage today. And the first is to do with people getting in the way of knowing God. With people getting in the way of knowing God. See, the priests in Hosea 4 were guilty of using the Israelites for their own gain, of turning them away from God. You know, today I think we need to recognize that we still see Christian leaders in churches doing this kind of thing. We only need to look at the news to read the names of multiple church leaders who have hurt others, who have been guilty of abuse in different horrible ways, and who have turned people away from God and not to Him. I want to say, please don't let the actions of those who claim to follow Jesus and to know God dictate what you yourself know and believe about God. Please get to know Him for yourself. God reveals himself to us in these pages. He speaks to us and he lets us know who he is through this. And ultimately, as we have read this morning in the New Testament, he reveals who he is through his son, Jesus. So please get to know Jesus and please don't let the failings of Christians get in the way of that. Please get to know a God who is a God of comfort, And a life-giving, hope-giving God who loves you desperately and wants you to come home to Him. Who is after your heart and wants you with Him. And if you haven't put your trust in Jesus as the one who can bring you to God, please do that. Or if you have questions, please follow them up. Please don't just ignore God and don't let others convince you of something that the Bible doesn't reveal about who He is. Put it to the test. Read some of the stories about who Jesus is and what he's done. Get to know him. That's firstly. Secondly, I think we see in the passage this morning that there are things in this world that can still distract us as Christians from pursuing a knowledge of who God is and from following Jesus as we do that. Ask yourself, what are the things in our culture that might turn us away from God or try to teach us something that is not true about him? What are the lies that our culture might tell us about God that make him out to be not good enough, that trick us into trying to find life and fulfillment elsewhere? What is is the Baal that we might be unknowingly straying toward? How might you pursue knowing Jesus more so that you can learn from him what it looks like to live for God? Thirdly and finally, 
Just like the Israelites influenced the younger generations in their knowledge and pursuit of God in the wrong direction, how are we influencing those younger than us in their knowledge and pursuit of God? Because we are influencing them. You know, this is for the youth who are in this room as well to hear. I don't know if you realize it, but you do influence those here who are younger than you. Just like me with my niece and singing that song. It's something for all of us to continue thinking about. Are we helping others see that God is worth knowing? That we need Jesus? In our own lives, are we showing that we want to know him more and to hear from him and to live in response to his grace for us? Are we helping others know God? Are we teaching them the right song or the wrong song? Well, we've seen so far in Hosea that God restores the mess we make, but not before addressing the mess we've made. That's our big picture. And we've seen this morning that we need to know God and that we can know God through Jesus. That we can come to God through Jesus knowing that he loves us. I'm going to invite the band to come back up now and we're going to sing a song together. The song's called How Deep the Father's Love for Us. It's all about how we can know God as our loving Father and about what He's done for us through His Son. While these guys are getting up, I'm going to pray though. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank You that You are a God who loves us. Thank You that You are not a distant God who just set things in motion and stood back. That You are a relational God who wants us to know You. Thank You for the life that we have in Your Son's name. Thank You for sending him to die on a cross for our sins so that we would not face the punishment we deserve. Help us to trust in him. Help us to know you more through your word. Please work in us by your spirit to help convict us in the areas of our life where we might not be following you. And please help us to know you more. Help us to live lives that reflect who you are as our loving God and help the others, other people around us to know you as well. Amen.